You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. In June, we celebrate LGBT Pride. On this episode of the Women's Health Cast, I talked to Dr. Ruth Yamane about reproductive health care for LGBT patients. We also talked about how health systems can work harder to make sure patients in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender communities feel safe and comfortable throughout their healthcare experiences. Dr. Yamane is an academic specialist in general OBGYN at the UW-Madison. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Ruth Yamane to discuss um, contraceptive care and sexual health needs for LGBT patients. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you um, for having me here. So to get started, um, tell me a little bit, I guess, about your practice and why people come to see you. So I am a generalist, uh, OBGYN, so I do both obstetrical care, which is people's uh, prenatal care and deliveries, and then the other side of that is their gynecological care, and that can be for non-trans women, trans women, trans men, and, you know, the different facets of gynecological care. People come to see me, I think, for various reasons that they've told me in passing after they've seen me, but I would like to think that maybe they're seeking out someone who's a member of the LGBT community, or perhaps, you know, there's not a lot of representation of African-American uh, OBGYNs that they, and they want to seek that out. Um, that might be a reason uh, to come see me. I hope it's because I seem approachable and friendly, um, but I think anyone will come with their own reason, <laughs> but I welcome anyone. So I wanted to talk to you today about um, contraceptive care and sexual health care for LGBTQ patients. Mm-hmm. I guess to take it back to a more basic spot to start, um, what does LGBTQ mean? Who's included yeah. in that series of letters? Uh, an acronym that's been around for a while. I think it's evolved over time, um, adding uh, different groups. Um, so LGBTQ is probably the most commonly heard uh, um, acronym now. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And then Q at one point meant questioning people kind of wondering about their sexual orientation. Uh, but it's more commonly used now as uh, the term queer, uh, which is once a derogatory term for anyone in the LGBT uh, umbrella. And now people kind of reclaimed it in a positive sense um, as part of their gender identity or gender expression. When patients come in to see providers, um, do I guess do providers talk about sexual orientation and sexual activity with patients as part of contraceptive counseling and sexual health visits? Yeah, I think they absolutely should. Uh, basically, the question is, who are, who are you having sex with and what type of sex are you having? And, you know, because there are different nuances and facets there and that can inform, you know, what type of contraceptive care you're going to recommend uh, or suggest or um, uh, safe sex practices that can be discussed. So it's really just for a basic question that should be asked at that type of visit. How, how can different answers affect what kind of contraceptive care you might offer? Um, so if... Um, I think taking into account kind of also their personal history, you know, if someone says that they are, um, let's say, also having very painful periods or irregular cycles, then there might be some um, certain contraceptives you might recommend over others. Or if someone were having heavy periods, there might be some a birth control type you may not advise for them to have. And, you know, they're, let's not to get into um, yeah, two specifics, but um, 
some people who are not comfortable with, let's say, um, vaginal penetration may not be comfortable with having an IUD placed or having a Nuva ring, you know? Um, so kind of the, I guess that the one's type of sexual activity might inform what type of birth control they'd be comfortable with and also kind of their personal history in regards to their periods or, you know, um, that, that aspect of themselves might inform what type of birth control we'd recommend. When I was reading up and getting ready for our conversation, um, I read over and over there's like a perception that birth control is a very straight thing. So mm -hmm. if I'm not, uh, if I don't have opposite sex sexual partners, I don't mm -hmm. need to think about birth mm -hmm. control. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned a couple of reasons that people, other reasons people might use different kinds of contraception. So yeah, what correct. are some of the other reasons we might pursue it? Oh, a number of different reasons. Um, if someone has um, abnormal uterine bleeding, like heavy periods or irregular periods, um, contraception can help um, regulate those facets or improve them. If someone has uh, we call dysmenorrhea or painful periods, um, contraception can help with that. Um, um, acne, um, it can have impact with that. Um, if people have severe premenstrual syndrome, PMS, contraceptive can have an impact there. Um, so a number of different things where, you know, you may not, you may not be sexually active at all and you can use birth control to help um, in one of those facets. I think it's also really important to talk about that, you know, going in for a general women's health visit, um, providers can offer so much more than just contraceptive counseling. Yeah. So even if there's no um, specific need for birth control, what are some of the other reasons that it's really important to kind of seek regular reproductive health care? Yeah. Um, it could even just be like um, yeah, a question and answer session. People coming in to talk about... Um, you know, their bodies, their health, what's normal, what's not normal. It can be an opportunity, like a safe space to talk about sex um, or safe sex. Um, it can be an opportunity, you know, for, oh, it's like a gateway into routine health maintenance. I mean, having a pelvic exam, um, um, having a pap smear, you know, cervical cancer screening, breast exam. So really kind of a, a gateway into some of the basic um, routine maintenance that people need. And then if you have folks who are identify as trans um, and maybe you have questions about being on hormones or what would that mean or, you know, gender affirming surgery, it could be an opportunity to discuss that. So there's really a, a lot of different things you could cover. Um, even if someone um, not really sure about pregnancy in the future, but kind of talking to them about their options and what that would mean. Um, um, how to be helped, what things to do before getting pregnant. Uh, so really it can be quite a, a spectrum of things. Um, and maybe the patient comes in not knowing they're going to talk about that, but it might be something that their OB-GYN provider picks up on and says, hey, maybe we should talk a little bit more about the HPV vaccine, you know, or, you know, have you thought about using birth control um, since you're having sex with sex with so-and-so partner, you know? So I think it's a really a gateway to a lot of other um, healthy questions. What about um, sexually transmitted infections? Yeah. Are LGBT women at risk for STIs? Uh, I think yes. I think there's a probably misconception that they are not. Um, and maybe there's certain STDs that the risk of transmission is um, a little bit lower. Um, but they're definitely at risk. And, you know, statistically, if you look back, um, 
there is a sizable portion of you know women who currently, let's say, are sexually active with um, with people who identify as women, and they may have had a prior exposure to uh, male partners, which carries a higher um, rate of transmission of some of these STDs. So they really should be screened, um, you know, based off of their past sexual history and um, even based off of their current sexual activity. I feel like a lot of studies have shown that LGBT patients um, can experience some pretty significant discrimination in healthcare settings, which Mm -hmm. very understandably would make them less likely to seek care or less interested in seeking care. Correct. Um, What needs to happen to make sure that every patient's experience Mm -hmm. with the healthcare system from walking in the door all the way through their exams Mm -hmm. and procedures is inclusive and comfortable and welcoming? Yeah. um, I think there's a lot that can be done. And I think part of it starts with addressing some of the homophobia and transphobia within the healthcare system. Um, And that's going to come from education and holding people accountable. you know, there are things that we can do in addition, you know, making the OBGYN office not feel so, um, let's say, heteronormative, you know, because um, someone who identifies in the LGBTQ community may come to an OBGYN visit, see a number of, you know, pregnant women, and then feel uncomfortable, right? They see no reflection of themselves anywhere in that office. So there has to be a way to kind of um, express that they're welcome there. You know, um, using proper pronouns, that's an easy but surprisingly difficult thing that people have um, that can make all the difference for someone trying to get care. You know, that might be the starting point. They didn't call me by the right pronoun. I don't feel comfortable here. You know, and making those mistakes immediately creates kind of a, a barrier or a wall, I think, between um, patients and their health care system. Um, so again, there are a number of things that we can do, but I think part the biggest part is education and holding ourselves to a certain standard. So at the very first meeting when you are greeting a new patient, how do you set the stage for a yeah. good relationship with them? So how do you try to communicate that your patients are safe and comfortable and this is a, a place they can talk about whatever concerns they have to bring you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, well, before I see a patient, I try to read a little bit about them, try to understand um, why they're coming, a little bit about their past medical history and things that are pertinent to our visit. So I have a basic knowledge and um, about why they're there. Um, and I try to make them feel welcome. Um, and I really try to give them the sense and impression, uh, which is true, that I'm listening to them I want them to be heard, I want them to be seen, and I think that will help them feel comfortable um, and feel like they can open up to me. So thinking in particular about transgender patients, how do we make the OBGYN office, which is automatically kind of a gendered form of healthcare, how do we make the office more comfortable and welcoming? Yeah. Um, I think some of it will start from uh, when the patient walks in. You know, again, do they see reflections of anything like themselves uh, in that office? Um, if they see, you know, mostly pictures of um, pregnant women, they may not feel a connection there. Um, uh, so maybe if there were other symbols of, a- of um, um, allyship um, in the office um, or representations of 
um, LGBT patients um, in our pamphlets, et cetera. Um, even as simple as receptionists or um, nurses who have a pin saying ally, things like that. I mean, small things. People pick up on these small cues of whether this is a safe space or not. And I think this is something they've had to do, you know, over the course of their life, uh, just um, as a safety mechanism. And so coming into an OB-GYN office, which is already, I think, a very intimidating place, whether you're trans or you're not trans, um, because it's, it's a personal exam and some people feel uh, less comfortable with that, um, which is very normal and common. And then getting into the, you know, the office space, again, using the correct pronouns, I think are important. Um, if I have someone who I might think is a little, um, maybe we should talk first before we do this exam. I'd like to sit down and talk with them um, and get a gauge of how comfortable they are with me doing the pelvic exam before I do a pelvic exam or a breast exam, I like to explain to them what it is, what I'm doing, using the actual instruments like the speculum, so they get an idea of what is, um, what instruments are going to be used um, and what's, um, just to get a, a little bit of comfort with that. And I always acknowledge that, you know, if there's any point here where you don't feel comfortable or you want me to stop, I'm going to respect that. You just let me know. Um, and I think giving patients that, um, a sense of control and autonomy is really important when they're having this invasive exam. When patients are out looking for healthcare providers, trying to select where to go to receive their healthcare, what are some hallmarks they can look for to say, okay, this practice is going to be LGBT friendly? Yeah. Um, so I'd say looking at the, um, the what, well, I think word of mouth probably is a, a great way um, because someone that's been there before you and can attest this was a safe space or I didn't feel comfortable here. Um, I think looking at the website uh, is, um, can tell you a lot about the practice. Um, not to judge a book by its cover, but a website essentially is an advertisement. And if on that website you see representations of things that reflect you or make you feel comfortable, that um, would probably be a reason that you'd wanna go there. If they specifically say like serving like the entire medicine community, um, you know, or um, LGBTQ inclusive, or we welcome um, this patient population. Something, I think those would be um, signs that this would be a safe space um, to go. Do you have any ideas or recommendations for how um, healthcare practices or healthcare systems can kind of build more bridges into the LGBT community to make it very clear we're here and we're inclusive and we are so happy to support this patient population? Yeah. Um, I think part of that connection um, and like referral system, if you will, is going to be word of mouth um, within the community. Um, and I've seen that in with the patients I've worked with, um, who are part of the LGBT community or, or not, you know, they come to see you because so-and-so had a good experience with you, you know. So um, uh, word of mouth is one way. And then and specifically with LGBT community, um, most cities have some kind of LGBT center um, or outreach program or something or through the university where um, UW or whatever healthcare system can connect with um, just to show that we're an ally, we're, we support you, and we welcome you. And that way it could be a direct line for us to communicate with 
patients who go through that um, community center or outreach group um, so they can come and be seen by us. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. On the next Women's Health Cast, we'll talk to maternal fetal medicine specialist Dr. Kara Hoppe and special guests Nicole Hovland and April Eddy. The three of them offer a group prenatal care class for people with diabetes. We'll discuss how they help their patients prepare for healthy pregnancies. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can subscribe to the Women's Health Cast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issues you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening, and happy Pride!